Hello there, welcome along to another episode of the High Performance Podcast. It's our second episode of the week. We do these bonus episodes, these extra episodes, because basically people were asking us for a little bit more. And so you can now expect a high performance podcast every Monday. And then sometimes on a Wednesday, we just drop you an extra little treat like today. And I think you may well, in fact, you probably haven't heard of the guest today, Steve Salis, but I think it's just worth you giving it uh, 45 minutes of your time just to sit back, listen to someone's point of view, um, listen to the experience that they've had in various different roles and just seeing what it does for you, which is what this podcast is all about, really. The biggest thing Thanks, as always, goes to you for the continued support of this podcast, still getting hundreds of thousands of listens every week. And the reaction to the Toto Wolf pod that we released just a couple of days ago has probably been... um the most intense I've known since we started doing these podcasts. The, the only reason we do these, um, trust me, it isn't to make money. It is to impact people's lives. And so the messages that we get, the reviews, the ratings, um, the conversations that we see other people having on social media make a real impact, make a real difference for us. And it really is the energy for us to continue delivering these podcasts for you. Um, so let's get on with this week's episode then. I really hope you enjoy it. Don't forget there'll be a bite-sized episode coming your way on Friday as well. You can also find details about our high performance book in the description for this podcast episode um, you will see a mention of the book you can click the link you can pre-order right now the high performance book which is coming your way later in 2021 but for now sit back relax enjoy i hope you've got a smile on your face and i hope you enjoy an extra episode this week from the high performance podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi there, I'm Jake Comfrey. You're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. Now, everyone needs a professor in their life and mine is also an author and a decent co-host as well. And look, Damien, as someone who's written numerous books about the beautiful game, I think um, you're going to be really interested to meet today's guest. I'm really excited about this uh, interview, Jake. I think what really is going to stand out for us on this that I'd like to explore is this theme of inner game that can often be seen as quite cruel and uncaring. 
this is somebody that talks about the element of kindness and decency and doing the right thing. And that's what I think we're going to really get a lot from it. Right, let's do it then. Let's um, welcome a man who started life as a footballer, actually. He'll tell us how that worked out for him. But then, after working with hard-to-reach youngsters and challenging environments, he's also now working again with players, applying his knowledge to help them. He's also written a book called Educating Football. Steve Salis, welcome to the High Performance Podcast. Thank you for having me, gents. It's a genuine honour to be here. I'm well chuffed. Great. Well, let's talk about that then. The, the love that perhaps is lacking sometimes when you get to the elite levels in any sporting context and in fact probably in any context on the planet whether it's business or sport or anywhere else how important is it to inject that love for people back in I think because the game of football and elite sport is so challenging I often find that the difference between education and coaching so teaching and coaching why I've always said they're significantly different is that A lot of coaches, from my experience, again, have found it really difficult to give love. Um, Maybe because they're in charge of people's careers at a much more ruthless level, having to release. Um, But I think traditionally, again, I'm only going from my experiences of education. But the soft skills of teachers, the care, the attention, the kindness, the love. Um, uh, Just from my lens, again, and my lens means how I see the world significantly ahead of coaching. Um, But it is changing in a good way. And how important is, is what you do from your own experiences of playing and not having the career that perhaps you hoped you would have? I get a bit of stick in the football industry because I didn't play 500 league games. Yeah. That's a challenge for me and that's something I have to overcome. But again, I think knowledge is key. Going in with a toolbox of skill set to add value to people and performance, massively important in my journey. If I can't, if I can't add value to performance, then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fraud. So that's been really interesting. And I think, again, the journey of, you know, I said this to you pre-going on air, without the education experiences that I've had, there is no way I could either go to professional football and have an impact or be have a reasonably successful business on that journey. Why is that? Because education is, is just the most mental job ever. Like, I mean, I'd obviously, the listeners won't know this, but I worked in, in any London schools and I was involved in school improvement pretty much my whole career. So it's meant that we were, we were off-steadied, we were failed, so we are in special measures. And special measures basically means you're just constantly obsessed with strategic and operational demands. And it's just, it's just full on. So I know we sort of touched again on this, but it's, the education is still just massively underrated in our society. Like, I'm, I'm sure parents in lockdown right now, right, are, are really understanding how difficult it is to educate their own children, right? So, um, yeah, I, I have to say it's, um, it, it made me. Can I take you back to the start of the journey, though, Steve? So you said that you grew up uh, in the Brighton area and you were the son of a plumber. What was your own experience of education like? Well, my brother, it's important to sort of mention this, my brother's a head teacher now, and he was the first person in our family to go uni. Um, my mum was a housewife. Dad was from a, a poor estate in East Brighton called White Talk. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be proud because there's a lot of people in that area that have got some really deprived lives. And Dad always just said to us, don't do what I do. You know, he always called work grief. You know, that's how he described work. So, he, Which is sad in many ways, isn't it? Because that's your life. Of course, but this is that mentality of that era, isn't it? That generation. So we were always brought up with, with whatever he didn't have, we had. And um, it's really interesting. I've got a friend who's an academic who's doing his PhD at the moment and he's talking about the journey. And I have to say, the big, one of the biggest influences in my life is that 
As a kid, we went from like a Cortina to an Escort to a Sierra and we were like that family upgrade where I saw it and I felt growth as a family. So that's a big part of my life. But what about your experience in education? Like, what were you like as a student? Well, I failed all my GCSEs um, and my parents separated when I was 14 and um, blew me away, like real challenging time. And then my brother went to uni uh, a year later. He's three years older. And then my mum went to uni at 40. So then she was like, going to, re- you know, change her career. So without stating the obvious, I pretty much brought myself up from about 15 to 19 before I went to uni. And then, yeah, that was, that was probably why I'm so independent now, to be fair. So was it that you felt failed by the system or that you just had no interest in education um, up, up until that stage? It's a good question, right? I've got to be in my bonnet about this. I was put in bottom set as an 11-year-old. And, and I went home and I cried to my mum. And I said, Mum, am I thick? Am I stupid? And even my school timetable, they sent me to... Um, on my timetable, was printed old school print then, right? And they sent me to, like, the special needs department in my first week of school. And I'm walking with my mate Nick, and I said, this is not us, like, this must be a mistake. And for three hours, my first week of school, I got sent around the houses, and teachers kept pushing me away, going, no, you're not with me, you're not with me. And I'm telling the story now, right? But it was, it was like... Am I stupid? And then my mum, bless her, so she does, you know, with, with her son. She said, no, you're not. And anyway, I just, I just found school struggle and, and how I got where I am, I haven't got a clue, but I, I've done it. So difficult to accept that sort of sense of rejection almost when you're at such a vulnerable age. And I know, Damien, there's been a lot of research done where if you take young people and tell them you're going to be amazing, you're bright, guess what? They'll be amazing and they turn out to be quite bright. If you take another group of young children who are identical and tell them you're going to struggle... They'll struggle. Yeah, those labels are huge, aren't they? I mean, I know he's a controversial figure um, politically, but Ben Carson is um, is a really interesting example of that. The American, he became a neuroscientist, and he tells us that he grew up in the projects of Chicago, I think it was, and uh, his mother had always told him he was clever, and she'd insist on reading his uh, schoolwork, and she'd tick it and tell him how bright he was. And he said, and it was only when he became 17, did he realise that his mum was illiterate, that she'd never been able to read his schoolwork. She was just giving him that constant affirmation that led it to him becoming a brain surgeon before he went into politics. And those labels are huge, and that's why I was interested in asking you around it, Steve, that you were obviously labelled early on. So when did you change that label? I did retakes, and um, I scraped... I said this on a Facebook post last night. I did retakes, scraped some GCSEs, scraped some A-levels... And then where the love of learning came from was the first day of uni when we were given a task, are great athletes born or made? And it was like a massive light bulb to me. It was the first time that I'd ever loved learning. And this is what... And this is 19... Uh, 1996. But you were 19, 20 yeah, before yeah, you learned to yeah. love learning. Yeah. Right. So I'd been released from Brighton at that stage. And then, yeah, I, was just, it just, I just fell in love with learning. And the, really the message to this is that I call schools in my book exam factories. And I'm not here to bash education, it's not my job today, but I'm just saying that the curriculums are prehistoric. We're doing things that we've always done. The curriculum, you know, kids still sitting down for six hours a day. Like, why are we doing that? Because we've always done it. And, and all I'm trying to say to parents and schools is, is, is stop conforming to the norms. In fairness to the head teachers, they're under more pressure than they've ever been. And a lot of head teachers that I know, good friends, you know, uni crew, they're, they're working class, down to earth people, or, or any class is irrelevant, but they don't want the curriculum to be like that, but they're told to because of government measures. So it's, a, it's very, very challenging, very challenging. So you 
who was struggling at school and you had to do retakes. Yeah. At the same time, you were playing football, right? Were you then a, a player at Brighton at yeah. that time? Yeah, a very bad one. Right, so you got released at what age? Uh, 19. So let's say by the time you're 19, you've had to do retakes for exams, you've been told, oh, you're, you're a, you, you need to be in the special needs class, you've been passed around from parent to parent, your football club has said, listen, you haven't got the talent to make it as a footballer. Yet you still sit here today and you're working with footballers, you're working in the education system, you're giving back all the time. How much of you sitting here today talking to us is because of those early rejections? A lot of it. We said off air, didn't we? Normalising rejection. We've got to start doing that in society. In my book, again, it's not book bashing, but I talk about prove or improve. And there's, there's a lot of proving going on. Carol Dweck stuff, really, growth mindset. I know you've spoken about it before. And there's a lot of proving going on in society, but we've got to normalise failure mm. a lot earlier. Wow. So education, stop testing as an example, stop testing so early. We've got 11 plus, we've got kids under stress, under pressure, we've got kids having panic attacks. And, you know, again, there's a university in England, which I won't mention, but they've had 13 suicides in three years. So, you know, what are we doing in this society where we've got stressed out academic young people that are getting to uni and going, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. So I just think there's, there's a realignment required. Education has got me where I am today. But the key to education is actually having knowledge and imparting that knowledge. Um, and I suppose, you know, this is going to be me teacher bashing. How is it in education that you've got people from the best unis in the world that are working in one corridor and you've got someone from the same corridor and then one teacher's unbelievable, right, unbelievable, and the next teacher down the corridor is rubbish and they get paid exactly the same amount of money and they've got exactly the same qualifications, which is why I've always said, you know, intelligence is about how we behave. And I've stolen that from my mate, Dr. Jake Nash, who works in, in FC Norgeland in, in Denmark. But it's about how we behave. And we've got all this obsession with education. But what's education if you don't apply it? Very interesting. So with young people now, when you, when you talk about failure and, and things, are we not teaching them early enough to cope with failure? Or are we making them fail unnecessarily too often? Well, Ant Middleton, I listened to his podcast with you guys. He, he talked about we're making life too easy. I wouldn't be probably as extreme as that view. I, would, I, I say in my book again about we need to make things strategically difficult. Let me apply this for you. Kid comes into your house and goes, Dad, I'm not really sure I've got a problem. And parents want to help their kids so much and they want to desperate because they love their kid. But wouldn't it be brilliant, brilliant if every parent said, well, well Jamie, have, have 24 hours to think about it. Give yourself some thinking time. Come back to me tomorrow with three solutions potential solutions and then we'll see if we can align that and I'll work with and help with you but that doesn't happen does it so when you make this distinction then because that's a key distinction between education and coaching how would you define the best educators and coaches what common ground do they have the common ground they're all brilliant under that brilliant umbrella uh, assessment methodology meaning how we measure learning Unbelievable. Different so level. give me an example of what that Right, like. assessment for learning in a failing school, so there's a term for the people, assessment for learning is how assessment impacts learning. So self-assessment, does the person, the human being, know where they're at themselves? Can we get peer assessment? What types of feedback methodology have we got? Okay. Can we look at summative assessment, which is data and numbers? So anyone that's listening to this, loads of people work with numbers. And then how do the numbers measure what we're doing and do they impact learning? And if they don't, what types of feedback can we give? And so really... In football, miles off. 
like, but I mean, football's now becoming, ironically, data overkill, isn't it? So I, I say this in the book, data rich, system poor. There's loads of schools, there's loads of businesses, they've got loads of data, but they're not doing anything with the data. So I think the key to a great coach is informing the player of different types of assessment, how they get better, what they do to improve, what they're good at already, but making it simple so they can eat it for breakfast. That's the key. Okay. And what else? What do you say is the common ground? Um, soft skills. Soft skills is massively, I think, linking particularly in football. A lot of coaches, and I don't, I'm not here to football bash, but I'm, when I mean soft skills, I mean empathy, I mean kindness, I mean love, I mean genuine duty of care for these young people or for grown adults. So did you experience that when you were in football? No. Not at all. It was, it was minimal. I think, I think um, education enabled me to learn it. I'll give you an example. In South London schools we worked at, if you're rubbish at your job, right, the kids just go, sir, you're rubbish. <laughs> right? You're rubbish. And then the reason I start the start of my book about self-awareness is because I'm obsessed with self-awareness because if, if, if you're not as good as the guy or woman down the road, right, in a 14-year-old's eyes, you're a downgrade. I said this to the Scottish football coaches last week on my, on my support for them. Like, if you're not doing what the best coach has ever done, what the kids experienced, if you don't do what they do, you're a downgrade. Yep. So I almost got obsessed with getting better, improving myself, not proving, because if I don't get better, the kids are going to batter me. And they, and they did, you know, inner London schools are brutal. So who is doing this? So when you, if you name names, so you said about some of these brilliant coaches, who would you see contains this idea of giving you the right information but with the empathy and the care well, I mean I mentioned in the book again Kloppo Jürgen Klopp like he's got the lot and, I, and I'm proud to say fellas I mentioned him before we won the Champions League and before we won the Premier League as the best he's trying to grow the community he's genuinely authentic he's genuinely look, he'd go for a pint with you down the pub and actually be that bloke he doesn't have to pretend. He doesn't pretend to be kind. He doesn't pretend to be empathetic. And I always say this about culture, because you've talked a lot about culture, haven't you, you two? Culture for me, everyone talks about culture this, culture that. Culture for me is very, very simple. A great culture, you are only as strong as your weakest link. Right? If your weakest link loves the situation of work or work, you're winning. Now, how is it that Klopp has his 27th and 28th man that come on for five minutes, get get four games a year and then still have an impact so what is he doing Monday to Friday as a human being as a boss as a strategist um, and I have another saying everybody knows more than somebody he always talks about his team behind the team he always mentions this and then I suppose the final bee in my bonnet is when managers say I'm really proud of my team I always say to myself wouldn't it be brilliant if they said I'm proud of our team that's including the fans and the families. So language is a, is a key element to great leaders, a key element. And isn't the game going more like this anyway? You know, when I, I, with the work that I do, I spent some time recently with Gareth Ainsworth, and the first question I asked him was, you know, what's your plan? What do you want to achieve? And he said, oh, I want to be a manager like a Jurgen Klopp or a Maurizio Pochettino or a Pep Guardiola where my players will run through a brick wall for me. And I know you're good friends with Russell Martin who used to play at Norwich and now is the, the boss at MK Dons and you've done some work with the players at MK Dons. I think if you said to someone like Russell, what sort of a manager do you want to be? Do you want to be an autocrat that just demands things or do you want to bring them on the journey? I think he'd bring them on the journey. And I feel that the game is getting more like that and, and we're seeing the benefits. The, the blaggers are getting found out, 100%. I 
but that doesn't mean yeah again I've said this for many years what's the point of knowing about football 11 v 11 tennis this golf if you don't know about leadership strategy soft skills educational psychology sports psychology strategy operation evidence and impact methodologies objectives KPIs what's but traditionally football has shunned all those things all they've said is can you can you sign a good player and can you play a good formation that's been the issue for years hasn't it with football that they haven't given credence to soft skills that they should have done can I give you a really flash word lads yeah I've got to give this it's world class right so the word is agnotology right and whenever I ask this in corporate training no one has a clue what it means right I like a posh word and agnotology means the study of cultural induced ignorance so football has been in this place of ignorance, but it doesn't... You've mentioned before on one of the podcasts, if you don't know what you don't know, you're going to be banging trouble in life, right? So there's all this institutionalised behaviour going on in football, but no one does any different. No one behaves any different. We've got lots of conditioned behaviour going on. And then everyone, someone who comes in who maybe is a little bit maverick or a bit new or a bit fresh, people just can't handle it because it's dangerous for football people because they often can't show vulnerability. And the key to great teaching, Damien, again, again, is the great teachers... Like when you said about coaching, teaching, just show vulnerability. They don't care. Isn't isn't education the same as football, though, that when a maverick teacher comes along, they're just viewed with suspicion? Can I just add something here? This is really important. I've said this recently. I've only recently worked this out about a year ago. I've worked for the girls' FA as well at England level, but I've predominantly worked in the men's game. But I think, and I'm not right here, I think that... Because I've worked with women across education, I think that my soft skills, not they're amazing, I'm working on it all the time, but I think they're a bit more refined. And I think a lot of the men's football industry, some going from education to football, when I talk about soft skills, voice projection, tone, body language, uh, all these little elements to, to be successful, I think a lot of people in the football industry haven't worked with women. I might be wrong. But that's my, and I'm a social scientist, that's my random sort of uh, synopsis of, of that experience. Talk us through, Steve, that how you would work in a team to help them become more aware of all this stuff. So say you got a call from a head coach that said, I want you to come in and lead this revolution. <laughs> how would he do that? Dave Livermore, who's the assistant manager at Cardiff, right? He's, he's my best mate in football. Right? What a guy, okay? And he always says to me, Salis, if anyone's got any common sense... They will just get you in and you do what you want. The problem that I've got is I don't want to coach, and I could, but I don't want to. I'm not a sports site because I haven't got those qualifications. I'm just a bloke called Steve trying to help people. And my experiences, Damien, in fairness, are a little bit random. They are a bit different. But um, how would I help? I'd help add value to strategy, what it looks like, what's the short, medium, long-term planning, what's the in-position look like, what's the out-of-position look like, monitoring player performance in terms of teaching and learning. So who would you be working with, though? Like, who, who would you go and target within that club to say, that's where I'm going yeah. to bring these, this different conversation yeah. about? Well, I'm working with players and staff. Right. So the team behind the teams, one of my key elements, is creating frequency and alignment between staff. Yeah. Um, that's one of, you know, even the work I'm doing for the Football League this year, that's going to be one of the key working. We're talking about working with the, with the players, but there's no point in working with the players unless we get the staff with the toolbox to be able to implement more strategic change for the players' benefit when I'm gone. So what would be the one non-negotiable then that you would have to nail to make sure, like the lead domino that would send the rest of it 
fallen into place? Well, all my work's based on self-awareness. So that's the first nugget of my business model. Every, everything's around self-awareness. So all the conscious competence and all the conscious incompetence and we get that nailed. Then we're then in a headspace to create like a rag rating, a red, amber, green. Green's super strengths. Yeah. So always talk about super strengths. What are your player, as a player, what are your super strengths? And who names them, the player or you? Both, either. Right. So when I talked about assessment for learning earlier, I talked about self-assessment, the player needs to know what they're good at. The coach needs to know what their super strengths are. What their ambers, what their areas for development, what do they need to do to improve? And then the reds are the things that you're rubbish at. See, that's interesting. When we, when we, on this podcast, we sat down with Ole Solskjaer and one of his things was that everybody's got a superpower. Everybody's got something okay. that you should never sacrifice. And in his case, he spoke about his, his ability to finish was the thing that distinguished him from anybody else. Is that the kind of thing you're describing as, as that? Yeah, the, the greens, the, yeah, the, the, the thing, greens, the super yeah. strengths. And, yeah. and I think, again, that from a manager's point of view, let's just flip that again, an expert hires an expert. So a manager's got a set of super strengths and they go, right, I, I, I haven't got these skills, so I'm going to go and find someone that does find them. So that's what I mean by strategy. It's about thinking. You've got to think before you do. And a lot of the time we're doing a lot of doing before we think. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, I mean, a lot, my, my master's degree, I, I need to mention this guy, right, Professor uh, Bob Burstow, no, Dr. Bob Burstow from King's College London. He was a guy that changed my life, like, and on another level. He, he wow. gave me, Jake, he gave me knowledge I didn't even know existed. It was embarrassing. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vice principal at the time thinking, wow, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty competent. And he gave me access to things like, I've got to mention another posh word, but this is a life changer for leaders, metacognition. And metacognition is life-changing. It, cha- it changed my life. It made me a better brother. It made me a better son. It made me a better friend. It made me a better partner. It's just made me a better human being. So explain that. Meaning number one, think about being a better thinker. Right, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to give, ask people to reflect on that now. I'm not going to tell anyone. And then the second meaning of metacognition is how do you know that you know something? Right, so you're looking quite, you know. Well, I always say you don't know what you don't know. Okay, but how do you know that you know? Well, exactly. Yeah, tough. So, yeah, <laughs> when people listen to this, I want them to genuinely think about themselves, their knowledge, their being, their doing, their knowing. And all I'm going to say to scare the life out of people is, what happens if your knowing is wrong and you don't even know it's wrong, but you've always done it that way, so that's, then you get conditioned to behave in, in this way, and then you just cause havoc in the workplace. So give us an example of that then. Give us an example that you've seen somebody doesn't know that what they know is wrong. In my book, I've got a chap. My book's random anyway. It's full of... It's not about football. It's about life, right? Yeah. But uh, I've got a chapter in there called Stop Interrupting, Let Them Finish. So it's just around all those people in the workplace that everyone's worked with that don't listen to anything that you're saying, right? And they just speak over you all the time so that that again goes back to self-awareness and and consciously aware that your knowledge of listening is not accurate and i love it when you say that it's not about sport or about football it's about life because that's what this podcast is about this podcast is not for sports people sports coaches it's for anyone that just so happens to stumble across it for an opportunity to improve their lives improve their own thought processes but I'm really interested and this relates to you so brilliantly is what we can do with our children to, to look after them what are the things so I have a seven year old and a four year old and I struggle with a few issues the first one is that they don't struggle because they've got a dad who's had a successful career so my kids can kind of have what they want that is a problem for me because 
the best thing that happened to me was failing my A-levels and being fired from McDonald's because it was like, life can be difficult. I better work out how, how to make this successful, which is not dissimilar to, to your, your story, really. But what should I be doing with my children? Because you can't guarantee success. But what should I be doing with them now to try and do the right thing? Normalising failure. Yeah. So what, allowing them to fail? All day long. 100%. It's one of the most underrated things in society. But we're in this prove mentality. We're in this judgment state, aren't we? We're in a judgment society. We're in a jealous society. We're in a society where you've got to have a better car than your neighbour. We're in a society where your kids got to go to a better school than your neighbour. They've got to prove that they're better. And this is what I'm saying about improve. The only controllable we have in life is get better. The key to then is having good coaches and teachers that have the technical detail to get better. I need to tell you this story about my dad. My dad is a legend, right? Everyone loves my dad. He's a, he's a, he's a legend of a guy, okay? He said to me as a four-year-old, right? Son, he said, every person you meet, he said, shake their hand, look them in the eye and ask them how they are. As a four-year-old. So it's not a coincidence that I'm half decent with people because my childhood was around, you know, Teddy Maybank that played for Chelsea, Fulham, Brighton. was a guy that was around, you know, I was at, I was at Hove Squash Club for years around all these great role models, you know, um, you know my godfather, Pete, just unbelievable guys. So can we get our kids to be more empathetic then? Because I look at my seven-year-old and it's about every time they talk about something, their friend has done it twice. Or if they've, done, if they've got something, their friend's got a better one. Or if their friend's got something, my daughter will pipe up with, well, my daddy did. And I hate that. I really, but I sort of say in my head, well, they're only seven. Like, but should they now be understanding empathy better and looking after the vulnerable people in their classroom and in their school and realising the actions and words actually do have an impact on people? I mean, listen, love everybody, hate nobody. I say that a lot. That's key to a successful society. Can a seven-year-old get that? Well, if you ignored it, let's just, just flip it around. If you mm. ignored it and then started talking about it at 12. Does that make sense? I did a podcast for Norwich City the other week and one right. of the parents said, wow, it was really helpful, you know, their son was eight. So let's, you know, let's try and... It's conditioned behaviour again, isn't it? Go, if you learn maths at, at 15, then you're, you're going to be pretty behind. It's the same as, it's the same as behaviour in life. So, yeah... If the kid doesn't absorb it in and apply it at seven, don't worry. But it's, it's affirmational, isn't it? The more you say it, the more it's going to happen. So, yeah, as a parent, I'd be you know, really relaxed about that process. Um, but don't ignore it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Because I, th I think that we're all on a journey to do the best by our children. But actually, the, ver the fact that it's a journey is the problem. I don't really know what to do, do I? Because I've never done it before. Every single day, I'm like, oh, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I have to tell this story. I had so many... In my first job, I was just turned 22 as, as a PE teacher in South London, but this wasn't my PE teacher role. This was my tutoring role. I'm 22. The kids are 12. I'm basically 12 as well, right? Haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I'm in debt with student loans. I'm now a teacher. I have a panic attack the first day of my job because I'm like, flashback, how the heck have I got here? Literally walked into the hall and like, I'm a teacher like a week before I'm just a student it was like responsibility was stress pure stress and then I've got all these parents putting demands on me driving me mad as well and I'm driving them mad but I have to say the parents trust in me was incredible 
cut a long story short, South London School, if, if you'd have seen the corridor in, in, 2000, in 1999, and then you see these people who are contributing to society years later, that's what gives you confidence. Because all of these kids that were really dysfunctional that I've taught are now contributing to society in a brilliant way. Boys, girls, whoever. But um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have seen it. Uh, I've seen it. Taking that example there and relating it to some of the other lessons we've learned on the podcast, like I'm really taken with this idea you'd speak about, about raising self-awareness. And say some of the guys we've spoken about, like Rio Ferdinand is a good example of this, that spoke about how the self-awareness of those footballers at Manchester United was through the roof. But the way that feedback was delivered, the peer feedback was brutal in Rio's own assessment that... He said, oh, it's only now he can reflect on maybe if he'd have been a little bit kinder. There were some players that maybe would have thrived in that environment that didn't. I get the idea of self-awareness being important and being, being able to be strident, but how do you introduce kindness? Well, strategically, I've, a friend of mine in America said, how do you implement it? I'd have it on um, performance management. I'd have emotional intelligence on it as a, as a, as a standard practice of, of developing people. Can it be learned? It needs to be talked about. I'm not a label man, by the way. So when anyone talks about psychometric testing, I'm not having any of it at all because you're just a bloke called Steve trying to help people. You're not a thing. You're not a label. And I don't like labelling. So I just think we just need to keep talking about self-awareness. We need to keep talking about what that looks like and how it feels for a human being. We need to understand... I listened to the Ferdinand one as well, but Anderson. We need to understand that, that soft skills are are hugely important to influencing people. So I'm going to talk about people influence here. Teaching, learning, coaching, whatever we want to call it, it's none of that. It's about influence and how we influence children, how we influence as a leader, how we influence as a peer, how we influence as a coach. Like, you can call it what you want, but people want to feel important, don't they? It's the, it's the need to feel important. Everyone wants to feel important. So therefore, you have to differentiate as a coach or a leader or a teacher or a parent for everyone's needs. And everyone's needs are entirely different. So how do we get it? We have to have open conversations. We have to have vulnerable conversations. But the main thing, Damien, I think we need to have strategic conversations about what the learning journey is going to look like. How are we going to develop you from A to get to B? Once you've got to B, how are we going to consolidate B to then get to C? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Where do you see this happening? So, not like whether it's in education or sport or business, where are you seeing this happen? Because it sounds 
a, a phrase we used earlier, it's common sense. Where have you seen it adopted as common practice? Well, in schools. I mean, schools, the kids would have targets. Um, a great school. You walk into a school and you just go, hi, what's your name? She goes, oh, Sally. He goes, Sally, what grade are you at in English? She says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a level five. And I need to get to get to level four. I need to do this, 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 and this. What, you're out in maths? Oh, yeah, I'm here and I need to do this. Like watertight, watertight assessment for learning. It's absolutely watertight. The kids know more than the teachers do. And then you go to a weaker school and it's very teacher heavy. It's very teacher top, you know, top heavy. But what's the point of the teachers knowing if the kids don't know it? And that's when I need when to bring... When you say very teacher heavy, what do you mean by that? Well, like the teachers... Kids are just deferring all the time to the teacher or... Teachers have all this information, but then they're not imparting the information about how the kid gets better to the kid. So the kid needs to be, you know, core values, commitment, ownership, responsibility. The kid needs to know where they're going. I say to footballers all the time, um, do you know about the four corner model? They go, what's that? Like Premier League football players don't know about technical, tactical, physical, psychological. So I need to mention this point, actually, because this is important. There's, again, something that I learned from my, my second degree was something called learning to learn. So instead of talking about football, it's how we learn about football. Instead of talking about maths, it's how we learn about maths. And breaking down that learning cycle into detail. So you can be a great footballer and play a great game of football without knowing about football. Yes, but what about as a coach and how we impart that for a younger player, the ability to learn? What does learning look like? How does it feel? How do we listen well? How do we ask good questions? What are good questions? And again, you know, I work for a company called Tarmac, brilliant company. They've got a, a strategy in meeting cycles is it a comment or is it a contribution, which I really like. So are you contributing to this process of adding value? And if you're not, then don't bother, don't make it. Do you know what? How many meetings have you sat in where everyone makes comments and no one contributes? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting thinking, shut up. When you say the work for the EFL, are you introducing this in all clubs or is it you're just trying to influence the climate? No, the, the clubs have to choose me right. as one of their choices. And then what I've, just, what I've spoken to, who's head of the programme, we've just mentioned, what's the point of me going to develop the players when I'm gone, if I give the staff the tools, yeah. then, then when I'm gone, they, those staff potentially have got those tools forever. And I think, again, we're missing, we're missing a strategic trick here because we keep giving players the tools, but actually give the staff the tools and then they've got them for life. Well, you've spoken about that. Damien will often be called by a Premier League manager to say, come and speak to my players. And often you think, well, great, but... If I speak to you, <laughs> yeah. the impact's greater. Well, I mean, we've spoken about this off-air as well, Jake. I think that if you can equip the coaches with it, their credibility is so much higher than bringing in an outsider because you're the easy, it's easy to shoot the messenger, isn't it, where it's harder to do that when it's a coach that picks a team, makes decisions. That... Mm. I'm slightly embarrassed that I'm 41 and I'm sitting here and I've never thought of a... A sports coach and a teacher is effectively the same job, getting it, like, imparting the same sort of information. Well, I think it's really interesting. You look at, like, elite coaches and the number of them that have got, that have had a start in teaching. You know, Eddie Jones, yeah. the England rugby coach, was a teacher of a school for a long time, wasn't he? Clive Woodward, that we've interviewed, he did some of that. You know, Roy Hodgson, you know, Stuart Lancaster, these are all elite coaches just off the top of my head that have had a basis in education initially. Cowley brothers both went to uni. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Roy Hodgson, as you say, um, Julier. 
the, the list goes on, doesn't yeah. it? So I, I, again, this is not. I'm not here to to bash sport. I'm just only coming from a different lens, and my lens is because of my environment and then sometimes with environment you get a bit of luck don't you you need a bit of luck the people you're around the people that mentor you and what happens if you're a young university student or a young um, young person in school and you get mentored but you get mentored by a bad mentor you do need a bit of luck you need that you need that environment to sometimes light bulb if you don't want me asking you a personal question on this then Steve that I think what you're doing is you're at the vanguard of trying to introduce change into an industry that maybe isn't receptive to it so the pattern of change is always first of all you're ridiculed then you meet the opposition bit the people say never work and then eventually everyone will say it was common sense and we should have been doing it years ago <laughs> how do you armor plate yourself against those first two stages of being ridiculed and being rejected well you've just mentioned the word armor right everyone's wearing armor in life we're all wearing this pretend metaphorical armor kids are wearing it in schools staff are wearing it People in football clubs are wearing it. Players are definitely wearing armour. So I think, again, having more conversations about vulnerability is going to be hugely important. I'm very conscious that my knowing is not your knowing. I'm very conscious that my lens on the world is not your lens on the world. But the key to any influence is alignment of lens and how we see the world, because we all see the world differently. And, and, and I wish... You know, you think how much conflict happens in the world. And I know Jake wants me to talk about things other than sport, but conflict happens everywhere. But conflict happens because people don't see the lens of other people. So if we could just understand that Steve Salis is going into a football club, I've got my knowledge. If you want it, you can take it. If you don't want it, I'm not offended. And, and therefore, influencing people is about what they want and not what you need to say. Sure, but, but where does that fire come from within you that, that keeps you going, even when people will say, well, I don't want it, or what's this about, this is ridiculous how do you know like you mentioned the criticism of well how many league games did you play to try and invalidate what you've got to say where does the fire come from from you to keep going back to keep trying to make a difference do you know what honest this is the honest answer I, i don't have much rejection in that world Right. Like, I don't get many people saying that I'm wrong. And I'll tell you why. It's because I have as many questions as I do answers. So I don't come with a model of this is, this is how we perform people. Yeah. It's just, a, it's, a, it's not a one size fits all, is it? So again, I, honestly, I don't get that. I probably get, I probably get more, um, more challenge, again, from my education days where the kids would say, I don't believe in you, sir. I don't believe that this is the right way for me to learn. And then you would say, well, why not? And they would say, well... You're not teaching me as good as a teacher down corridor. And you're like, wow, what do they do? And what, oh, uh, well, they give you, they give me more visuals, sir. I like visual learning. Okay, great. And so yeah, so you know, lots of you know, the kids are brilliant because kids tell you the truth more than adults, don't they? Absolutely. Um, we're almost out of time, but before we stop, I, I just want to f- ask whether you feel that we're we're winning the battle in this area, whether we are getting better at equipping young people and being better ourselves showing showing more empathy more emotion having more conversations realizing how important soft skills are in a world where traditionally only hard skills is what we've what we've put on a pedestal if anyone in the education industry is listening to this right now i wish they will be yeah i wish i wish wouldn't it be brilliant if we did a gcse in character yeah but we don't wouldn't it be brilliant if we did a gcse in leadership and someone, if, they want to, if someone wants to steal this idea right now, crack on. I haven't got the time to go and do it myself. 
but we've, we've lost the plot. We've got this education system that is keep conforming to this. Black cab drivers have got a, full, a degree in memory, but it's not called a degree, it's called the knowledge. But no one at school says go and do the knowledge, have a career with being independent life. So I think what do we need to do? We just need to keep understanding that education as a school is just a place where you go to try and prove yourself, but there's no validity to say that makes you happier. Like, I think that's the key. The conversation is school. The conversation is, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And, and is it going to make me happy? How many, Jake, how many people moan about their job? Maybe 80%. So, therefore, we're all moaning about a job, but then we're all doing the same thing because we've always done it like that. Like, so that's yeah. what I'm saying. We, need to just, we just need to have more conversations with children about what do you want to do and what are your super strengths. So as a parent, say to your kid, what are your super strengths and what is going to make you a living and pay you and do what you love? Like, that's the money show, isn't it? It's the winner. So, in the spirit of metacognition, <laughs> what question do you think we should... Uh, what's that? <laughs> thinking about thinking. Okay, so, right. So, when Steve mentioned before about this about thinking about thinking, thinking about me and Jay, what question should we have asked you today that we haven't? Killed me with this one, Jen. Love it. What, what, I think, like, I was, I was going to talk about school a little bit more today, like... I can't emphasise enough. This, this is important. I've seen... This is really important that I share this story. I've seen kids at 11 years old come in with stab vests, yeah, and through years of mentoring, not from me, from we, like hundreds of mentors, teachers, teaching assistants, some of those kids have ended up going to Oxford or Cambridge University, right? I've seen it. That is why I know I'm a bit mental, because the average person on the street hasn't seen it. And that's why I feel it, because I know what human change is capable of. This is the Human Performance Podcast, so, yeah? So that's, I know what, I know it's capable. If you've got great teachers, great mentors, unbelievably aspirational parents, whoever is in your journey on life of love, you are definitely, definitely going to do well. So I often ask when we have elite sports people, elite coaches, people that have won World Cups and Premier Leagues and other things, I will often ask them whether anyone can be a high-performance athlete. I want to sort of flip that round slightly and ask you whether any young person can be made to think in the right way. Everyone can be saved from wherever they're at. Early enough, yeah, early intervention. We call it early intervention. If we can intervene early enough, behaviour conditioning could be at such a stage where we maybe minimise trauma or we maybe minimise, you know, Steve, Steve Peters but the computer and can we get a rewire in that computer in their brain, you know, in the iCloud and can we get that rewire to make a positive experience? So I think reframing of failure and what is reframing is looking at it as a learning opportunity. I know that's Carol Dweck stuff has been mentioned before, but it's, it's seeing failure. You mentioned it, didn't you? There's no failures, only feedback. You know, you never lose, you either win or learn. So it's complete growth mindset to failure. But the key is normalising failure in the family. You right, know, right. Not so doom and gloom, never too high, never too low. We always finish with um, some quick-fire questions. We've changed these slightly for you. Okay. Um, three non-negotiable behaviours that you try and impart to the young people you work with. Passion... Lifelong learning, big teaching term. I like Just that. lifelong learning all the time. And selflessness. Why is that so important? Because we get one life. And, and what's the point of having a load of money in your bank if you're not happy? And what's the point of having a big house if you're lonely? And what's the point of having these things? So just every, we, we, we're in this society to have friends, family. That's why we're here. One reason. What advice would you give a teenage Steve just starting out? Oh. God, um, do some foam rolling, don't get injured a lot, um, <laughs> and, and ask more questions. 
yeah, ask more questions. I was in, I was wearing armour as a young player. I didn't have the confidence to ask coaches questions. Um, so yeah, that. Um, if there are people listening to this with a child of like four years old, like my young boy Sebastian, I, I think it's okay. So what do we do for people who are listening to this with older children, even teenagers, even people in their 20s and 30s, if they haven't been equipped to fail at this point, what should they be doing? Well, I mean, being stoic right now, we're in lockdown. So learning to be more resilient is a challenge. Um, everyone's having to adapt to it. I think put challenge in, in your kid's life strategically. I have to tell this story before we finish. Dad, can I have a tenner, please? Of course you can, son. There's the car, there's the keys, there's the sponge, there's the bucket. Right? Then I knew I had to work for things. So, like, obviously my dad gave me tennis sometimes without that, right? It's important to know. But, he, you know, can I have that? Yeah, you can have that, but you've got to do that to get it. So I just think, like, connecting. You don't meet a teenager that doesn't want money. You don't meet one. You, all teenagers like money. So let's connect to why they need to get that money and what they need to do to earn it, which is what Aunt Middleton said, stop making life so easy for children. And what's your one golden rule that, to live a high-performance life? We, not me. Always. Like, I'm not here, right? I'm not here sitting here without people in my world helping me on my journey. I'm not here. That's what Muhammad Ali said once when he was interviewed by students know. at Harvard. No he said, clue. can you tell us? And he said, I'll tell you the world's shortest poem. He said, me, pointed at himself, and then pointed to the rest of the room and said, we, yeah. and then sat down. Wow. So that's a nice way. Thank you wow. so much. Cheers, fellas. Love I mean, it. This has been a, a high-performance podcast different to any of the other ones that we've done. And Good. I kind of get the impression that there'll be people listening to this now going, right, I need to just start the podcast again and listen again, pause it and make notes as we go along. But I love the, the ethos that you bring of helping and sometimes saving young people through positivity, through empathy, but at the same time, challenging them as well, challenging them to fail, challenging them to struggle, challenging them to look into their own brains, to assess how they really feel, how they relate to other people. It is a fascinating mindset and we live in a world where we accept education as it is. And maybe it's time to rethink that, eh? Cheers, guys. Pleasure. Thank you. Damien. Jake. Uh, that was a podcast like one we've never done before. In many ways, it felt like all of the little bits and pieces that various guests have discussed with us over the years kind of all came together. And there was a lot in there. I was honest when I said people might have to listen again to that. Yeah, I think um, when we speak to a guest, I often think there's a few lenses we go out. We talk about their background, their environment they grew up in. We talk about their parents. We often talk about the circumstances, so their wealth and uh, and what they had and didn't have. But the fourth factor that underpins it is education. And I think that's a really key feature of all our guests. And I think Steve, like you say, pulled together a lot of that knowledge that's out there in education to get us to think about it. And I think that is the key thing. None of us really have the answers because all young people are unique and are different. And I know, you know, my son is so different to my daughter that what would work for him wouldn't work for her. But just to have someone sit there and sort of challenge any parents that are listening to this or even any big brothers or aunts or uncles or grandparents to really turn your young people into kind, thoughtful, empathetic, resilient young people is a challenge, but is possible and is important. Yeah, and I think 
if anyone's listening to this and their brain's hurting, having listened to it, I think it's because thinking about thinking isn't something that we do. We often talk about the outcome or, or what's happened, whereas he's getting us to think about the process of how do you develop kindness, how do you develop empathy, which is far more important than talent or than IQ, this EQ that Steve's trying to develop is, is essential to high performance. And look, you're a professor. He's living in that world as the kind of layman who's involved in this, four or five times in that conversation, I thought, I've never really looked at it from that angle before. And maybe that is, that's the best and biggest takeaway for me, is getting me to look at things that I've been looking at for 41 years, but never looked at them in a different way. Well, th- there's an old saying that, like, a, um, so a good coach tells you what to look at. A great coach just tells you where to look and allows you to make your own judgments. And I think that's a big feature of what Steve's done there. He's not told us what to do, but he's just suggested we might want to look in that direction. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Loved it. Well, I hope that you found that one interesting. I know Damien and myself certainly did when we sat down with Steve a few months ago. Just a quick reminder that it's not just about listening to these podcasts. You can also watch them as well. Lots of people have been asking when the Toto Wolf episode is going to be on YouTube. If you want to go to YouTube now, you can go right back through the catalogue of conversations we've had from Rhea Ferdinand to Holly Tucker, from Robin Van Persie to Ant Middleton. And you can watch as well as listen to the episodes. I think YouTube for me is a really interesting one because I love the medium of doing a podcast. I've said a few times that I've genuinely never had a reaction to anything I've done in my career like doing these podcasts. But I think also to see the emotion in people's faces, to see the intensity in their eyes is also a really good one as well. So just go to YouTube, type in High Performance Podcast and you can subscribe there, hit the notification bell and then you'll find out whenever a new episode is coming your way. You can also rate and review the podcast. It makes a massive difference to us if you're able to rate and review it and you can follow us on Instagram as well at High Performance. Um, We've got some other big news as well coming your way very soon. I won't spoil the surprise on that one, but find out next week. Join us on Monday and we'll announce it. We'll talk about it then. I think it's something that all of you will be really, really interested in. Don't forget, you can pre-order the High Performance book right now, but wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you so much for being part of the High Performance community, the High Performance conversation, and just keep on spreading the message that we are in control and we can live the life we want with the tips and the tricks that we pick up from the High Performance Podcast. Sending lots of love to you, your friends, your family, wherever in the world you're listening to this podcast. Finally, thanks very much to Hannah, to Will, to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio. That's it. Thanks so much for being part of the show today. Sending lots of love. Please rate, please review, please keep talking, please keep smiling. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.